You're listening to the Mountain Wellness Podcast. Mountain Wellness is a health and wellness lifestyle brand empowering mountain athletes for outdoor adventure. What's up, mountain athletes and outdoor adventurers? Welcome to another episode of the Mountain Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Reed, and I'm joined with my good friend and co-host, Mike Maena. What's going on, brother? Ah, great to be here, ready for adventure. Dude, fill us in. Fill us in on your uh, John Muir 80-miler. I know you've been hitting it hard with the training and everything. What, we're getting down to crunch time now. You're, what, a week and a half out or something like that? Yeah, we're uh, basically next weekend, so we're really oh, close. Oh, dang! <laughs> yeah, it's fun. We met last night. We got all our uh, logistics and where we're staying the night. And I've been just, I've spent the last two weeks on the Garmin just trying to get the uh, navigation all squared away so we know where we're at and where we're coming out of. And there's a lot involved in these cars and <laughs> transportation and... It's it's a lot. It's fun though, man. It's fun. I was just about to say that's honestly that's one of my favorite parts about um, any type of adventure is the planning process, like the logistics. And I remember when we were on uh, the last August, the Mountain Wellness Adventure Challenge, and yeah. um, just being in the condo at McDee's place the night before, and we had all our gear out and just like going through. Uh, your last minute checklist and packing everything up and unpacking it and then repacking it. Oh crap. I forgot this. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. That's a good time. I mean, we're, you know, we're seven days out there. So we're, you know, you just, you don't want to leave something behind. So you're taking everything and looking at the list and making sure you got it all. Then, then that's it, man. Then you just walk out into the wilderness. Well, for the listeners and myself, I'm curious because, um, Let's paint a picture. So you guys are starting where? So we're starting in Tuolumne Meadows, uh, near right in Yosemite. Yeah, uh, so that's the western slope, correct? Yes, and then we yep. are on the the John western Muir slope of the Eastern Sierras for people that are listening that aren't familiar with uh, the California Sierra Nevada mountain range. Yeah, and then we're uh, we are on the John Muir Trail. Uh, which also is also part of the Pacific Crest Trail. Yeah, uh, see, I was wondering that. Okay, so it is. It's it it ties in with the the PCT. Yeah, I mean they become one at some points, and then they're I think for a little bit were. So yeah, it's all essentially the same thing through that area. Isn't it amazing that John Muir like explored that area before all those? You know, it's so. We take it for granted, like all the trail systems and all the established, you know, trails and routes and just think of that dude back in the day, like just prospecting and adventuring up in those areas. Just, just crazy to think about yeah, that. This part of the Sierra is, is just, it's almost hard to put in words sometimes when you get to the high elevation and what you get to see and even the night skies watching a satellite fly right over you and, and the stars are just endless and it's just to see that it's just a, an incredible experience i think for i i wish more people could get the chance to see those things well isn't that yeah that's that is the thing that you just don't really understand that feeling until you're you've experienced it 
Yeah, and I love describing those to you because we talked about that during the challenge is just explaining everything to you and how much you enjoyed just learning and hearing about it. And Yeah, yeah so you guys will be, so you'll start in Tuolumne Meadows um, and then yeah. uh, you go you go up and over to the Eastern Slope or do you kind of like crest yes. and then follow the, the ridge line? Yeah, so we go through a place called Lyle Canyon, which is... Uh, a pretty large meadow and it's it's a pretty easy hike i guess it's about eight or nine miles in i believe yeah and then we but then our first pass is donahue pass so we're camping right at the base of the pass and then we will go up in the morning first thing uh because we try to stay off the high passes in the afternoon because that's when the, the thunderstorms tend to roll in so we get up at the you know right sunrise and we move and we plan to get over that pass and then move towards another lake. We'll be camping at lakes most of the time. So we'll be passing yeah, there's so much water up there. Yeah, there's a ton of water. So we're passing a few lakes and then we'll end up actually back in Mammoth where we're actually uh where we did our our August trip. Yeah. And uh, so then from Mam so then we're not going to stop. We were the original plan was to go into Mammoth and and uh pick up a resupply and we decided you know what we're just going to take our stuff and go all the way through <laughs> we're just going to skip the town and and uh and just head straight over so straight out of red's meadow it looks like and then we'll be going up to a place called purple lake in that area um beautiful uh, dude yeah and then coming out of mcgee pass uh, mcgee Lake is also up there. We'll be staying there and coming out of, coming out at that end. So that's about it's looking like seventy two miles totals right now. We were close. We were eighty originally, and I think part of this has to do is you know you're on the trail and that's maybe one, but then there's the end to the trail and there's the exit of the trail, and so you add those miles to your track that's on the John Muir because you got to exit to a town, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's going to be, a, and we're really looking forward to it. It's going to be incredible. Is this your longest trek yet with the backpack? Um, no, it's probably a tie for me because I did it. Uh, we did Mammoth to Yosemite about three years ago. Uh, so that was Mammoth Lakes to Yosemite Valley. And then at the end of that trip, we climbed the backside of Half Dome, which was another really fun experience. I mean, just yeah. incredible. Yeah. Dude, I'm so, excited for you. I can't wait we, to uh, yeah. have the, the follow up episode to, to hear all the epic adventures and great stories and comic relief from your guys's trip <laughs> yeah we always we always get into that for sure we, a lot of fun crazy moments out there hopefully yeah. no bears but you never know i'll always welcome them i dude <laughs> bears i've had a lot of bear run-ins in the eastern sierras quite yeah, a me few too. Yeah. um but i haven't had a bear run-in out backpacking i feel like that'd be a little bit different i've had it in the campgrounds and stuff just up there fishing in like june lake at the loop or something and those park bears come rolling through the campground looking for trash but um, yeah you know the, the tent walls seem really thin when you know there's a bear outside <laughs> dude like, and uh they they smell so bad have you been in a <laughs> have you been in a tent when they get pretty close i ha i've had them close but I haven't got their scent and I don't know oh, why that bad. is. Yeah. It's oh, so okay. bad. That's good to know. It's funny though. Like my, 
you know, as I mentioned, my only experience with bears though have been park bears in the Sierras. Um, and now living in Montana, it's, you know, we got the, we got the grizzlies here. And when I first moved here, I was thinking, you know, oh, they're just, you know, they're in Glacier or Yellowstone or, you know, the, the more protected areas and come to find out that's not <laughs> true at all. They're, <laughs> they're all over Montana. Wow. Nice. They just, uh, a hiker, um, gosh, last month took one down. Um, he was on a trail and mm. came across some cubs and a uh, mom. And next thing you know, mama was not too happy and and that's the thing, dude. Hikers and backpackers in Montana definitely are packing heat. <laughs> that's a common. Ah, yeah, I bet. I mean, and that's not everybody, but um, definitely, you know, you're you're not going out in the backcountry without bear spray. And if you are, you're not 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 a very smart, dude. <laughs> to do yeah, that. it's different. I mean, the bears are more mellow here. I believe. I, pretty confident that they're pretty mellow here in uh, Yosemite. I mean, they're aggressive for the food, but they leave us alone basically. So Yeah. And that's what it seems like. Um, brown bears versus black bears, like the grizzlies are definitely seem to be a lot more, I don't want to say aggressive, but um, it seems like most of the, I just got done reading a book actually of mm. a guy that had studied grizzlies here in Montana for, I don't know, years and years and years. And the guy's been attacked twice. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because in the book, you know, he's like talking about like, oh, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of. And it's it's always, um, you know, a unique situation where the bear was startled or, but I'm sitting there reading the book. I'm like, dude, you've like been tough attacked research twice, right? <laughs> right? You've been attacked twice. What do you mean? <laughs> They're not aggressive animals. Um, wow. So it's, yeah, it's been, uh, but yeah, like, I think- off the top of my I can't remember exactly, but there's only been like six or seven deaths by grizzlies in Yellowstone since the beginning of the national park, like since it opened or a hundred years ago or something like that. So big picture, it's it's not a big yeah. deal. Yeah. No, a lot of, even here it's like we don't have a I don't I've never I'm sure there's a few attacks we've had out here, but most of the time people are so scared of them that they actually injure themselves trying to get away from them and the bears yeah. just watching them while they, you know. Dude, so, my favorite story recently in the last couple of years was that guy in Colorado that was like, he had like an MMA background and uh, he choked that mountain lion out. Do you remember that story? <laughs> I remember something about it. Dude, that was like, I got so much respect for that guy. He's like the most badass dude. Um, and I don't remember like the exact details, but he was supposedly, he was on some Colorado trail, uh, trail running or hiking or whatever. And uh, yeah, dude, mountain lion came up full on like attacked and he choked the damn thing out. Like, <laughs> I think I remember that story. Yeah, that's pretty recent. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's what crazy. my experience here in Montana, people have more fear of cats than they do bears. Mm, I believe yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've talked to, cause my brother-in-law, you know, hunting culture is pretty big here. And sure. uh, I'll, and I'm, I've asked, I've had some conversations with my brother-in-law. I'm like, dude, do you ever like, have you ever had seen any bears out when you're hunting? Cause you know, they cover some, they really get out there. They get into, you know, deep in the woods, backcountry stuff. Um, yeah. So they're they're being exposed to the same environment we are when we out there. We're just doing, you know, 
different game, different deal. But yeah, that's yeah. what he said. He's like, dude, cats are the, cause they stalk. He's like, it's what well, bear. You just got to be more aware and make noise uh, as you come into new areas where, right. you know, you have a, a mountain lion or a cat. That's like literally a predator that it stalks. Like it's, it's really, I was like, yeah, that's, he's like, yeah, dude, those things will pull you right up a tree. <laughs> you imagine that getting bounced on and all of a sudden pull up a damn tree no thanks wow. so yeah that's crazy yeah i mean you know there's dangers out there but that's what I've makes it exciting <laughs> right now i've been out there long enough that i that they don't really bother me anymore i mean when you first have your experience with the first time with a bear it's usually terrifying and then after a while you realize they're just not interested in us so much yeah um so true and that's been my experience in the Sierras as well. I've, as we mentioned earlier, I've had quite a few the run-ins. The closest one I ever had was I was fishing on June Lake. And it's kind of funny because I was blind. <laughs> this oh, was geez. after my car accident. So I was with my buddy, another Mike, actually. And uh, yeah. we're just sitting there on the, on the you know, fishing away. And um, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, my gosh, a bear. And I'm like, what? He's like, a bear. And I'm thinking, you know, a hundred yards or something. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, where? He goes, and he's like backpedaling, you know, he's like, I can tell he's going into panic. He's like, right, it's right there. And I'm like, right, oh, where? Wow. He's like, right there. <laughs> and literally, dude, I, I just like, we both put our fishing poles down, like didn't even reel our lines in. And we start both like backpedaling. I'm like, give me your shoulder. Cause you know, he's got to guide me out of there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and there's like this, you know, big, you know, the shorelines in those Sierra lakes, they're all like big granite rocks. And it's not like you could just, you know, sprint, yeah. sprint it's out of like there, which fire you're road. supposed to do anyways. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. But yeah, nope. we, uh, we got, we were able to, to back out of there and the, he just cruised on down the shoreline. Dude, I remember the first time I came across a bear, I was in scouts. I was a kid. We were in Philmont Scout Ranch, which is a scout ranch. that's like, it's, wildlife protected for i don't know how many years and so the wildlife they don't they're comfortable around people i mean it's just loaded yeah. with bear and bison and, and everything and one night i'm in a tent with a buddy and we're sleeping dead asleep and all of a sudden we hear a kid walking around outside he's his name was shane incidentally <laughs> and he was one of those kids that was a little bit out of the outer circle where it's like you never knew what he was up to and <laughs> And somebody's like, hey, Shane, because he knew he was outside. He'd gone to the house. He's like, do you hear anything out there? And he's like, yeah, there's just a bear out here. And we're thinking, a bear? And he's like, yeah, he's going through somebody's pack. <laughs> so everybody tenses up. And all we had is those little Swiss Army knives back then. So <laughs> we take out our Swiss Army knives and we're holding it. And we can hear this bear ripping apart a pack like probably within 10 feet and it sounds like he's coming towards our tent while he's wrecking it and so we're we can feel the ground shaking and it's getting like it's getting like piss your pants time and all of a sudden <laughs> and, and we don't know how this happened because it's pitch dark right everything's completely dark and all of a sudden this big old flash goes off and i was like what what was that and all of a sudden the bear takes off and it turns out and back in the day and some people remember these the Kodak cameras had a flash cube that you attached to the camera and it was a bar of cube flashes. Somehow the bear had bitten into the flash <laughs> cube and set it off, which I've never even been able to do. And I was like, he sets off the flash cube and it scared the crap out of him and he ran. And, uh, 
Wow, it was just a, it was a, <laughs> that was the most intense moment because he was so close. And when the ground There's shakes, like, you're like, <laughs> and it's funny, know. they go running. You know what I'm talking about because I know you've seen it. They run like uh, scared dogs. They like tuck their ass under them, like their tail. <laughs> yeah, they, they kind of do this scoop. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Big old animals. Like, man, that um, was years ago. Yep. You just, now you just reminded me of my favorite bear story of all time and it does it wasn't it didn't directly happen to me but i was in the campground so this was back oh gosh probably like 10 years ago something like that and i went on a trip because you know my dad loves trout fishing and he's been doing the eastern sierra trout opener since he was in high school like him and his buddies they Your dad's always in the Sierras, man. I'm always like, dang, he's always up there. I'm always so jealous. Yeah. No, and I can, I totally um, can thank my dad for, yep. you know, he got me in the mountains at a really young age. I think the first, first trip he took me on, like, and it wasn't like a family camping trip. I mean, it, he actually took me on that, uh, the Sierra Trout Opener. I think he started taking me at like four years old. And he, mm. you know, he tells me, told me later like his friends used to give him crap like really you know kind of like you're gonna bring your you know right because this was like the you know boys getting together was kind of their weekend getaway party weekend and my dad never was like that so you know he he had enjoyed bringing his son more than he looked forward to partying so anyways that was my exposure to the mountains early on and uh so here we are fast forward like 20 years later um and my dad's best friend Bob Shea and his buddy Brian, um, they like we always used to stay. My dad always had a camper, you know, like the ones that go on the back of the truck. Yeah, and so we were always like um, felt <laughs> felt more protected than you know being in this little tent because it's cold too. You're the Sierra oh, yeah. Trout opener is the last weekend of April, so it's you know right in that transition time in in the mountains and the Sierras. Um, so yeah, you're still, getting the freezing temperatures. Totally, for sure. still still gets cold. Anyways, so we're in the campground and and it's like the first night we get there, right? And everybody, it's Bob and Brian are the guys that are like really into barbecuing and like food. Like they're just they always you know have they just get into that. You know, and they probably had no joke, 30 plus pounds of meat, you know, everything from tri-tip to marinated chicken, like fully prepped, like for four or five days of being up there. Right. So bear gold mine. (laughs) And, uh, I don't know how much, um, alcoholic beverages were consumed the night before. And that had anything to, (laughs) anything to do with them, not, uh, putting their securing food, it, yeah. yeah, securing their food <laughs> in the right spot. So, anyways, um, they uh, they do their you know they party and whatever, and they 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 end up going to sleep that night. Well, I guess the story goes they decided they were going to put the ice chest in the truck, right? Because we've been doing this for years, and it was always like, okay, hang it up in the tree, you know, get it away from the camp because the bears right. are. We know it. Bears have been a problem. That, for the last 20 plus years we've been going up there sure well bob had just bought a brand new 
Toyota Tacoma. I mean, it was like he literally oh. bought it two days before the trip, so it was the, oh. it was the first time he had like driven it. Oh! So they load the ice chest into the truck. They pass out into the front cab. Yeah. Well, I, I'm. Yeah, they probably. Okay. I don't know if it was in the front cab, but regardless, it was, was in it the cab. Inside, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, it was in the cab for sure. It was in the cab, not in the back. And um, so we wake up in the morning and we walk out, and my dad says like. I can just tell my dad starts cracking up. He's like, what the, <laughs> what the heck happened? Well, the bear, a bear had come into the campground and obviously could smell the food <laughs> through, through the truck. Truck didn't no no, no vapor seal. And the, the damn bear managed to get up in the back of the truck, like in the bed of the truck wow. and, uh, sat on the roof of the cab and was able to smash the back window out. <laughs> nice, man. Carjacking bear. <laughs> Dude, it gets so much better. So I love that. This is like one of my favorite stories. And uh, so the bear gets into the cab and goes to town and it just literally oh. eats every, like all their meat for the, for the, the entire trip. But my favorite part of the bear getting in there is, well, what two things. One, they had like a six pack of monster energy drinks. <laughs> <laughs> so the bear pounded like six monsters. <laughs> oh. And then to top it off, it ate so much that it wasn't able to get back out of the cab, right? So the damn bear's now stuck in the cab. It's fueled up on caffeine and like monster drinks. Oh. And it starts to basically like freak out because it can't get out. And it's just right. uh, Bob and Brian said that at one point the bear was sitting on the horn, like just, just literally sitting on the horn. And, you know, it's like three in the morning. It's just like. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing anybody could do either. Go sit and watch. Nope. And uh, you know their their side of the story is they were all they were doing was just sitting in the tent, you know, ten fifteen feet away from this truck, hearing oh the truck literally be destroyed. Ended up being yep. totaled. Uh, the bear wow. totaled out the truck. And, sure, it's got so, meat sprayed all over the whole <laughs> cab. I just love nice. the fact that he drank six monsters. <laughs> He's all like hopped up on caffeine. He just took like one claw, popped the can. Of <laughs> It was gone, man. That's amazing. And then so, he was so amped in a confined space and scared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like hit the panic button and the I just love he's sitting on the horn at three in the morning and the whole campground's like Man, you gotta get get the imagine the ranger rolling up on that, just like what happened here? <laughs> well it's funny because Bob and Brian now, they uh they don't camp anymore. Like they I think it's been it's been years. I think I said 10 years or something, but they've stayed in a condo ever since that, <laughs> that experience. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, man. Yeah. So wildlife experiences are always fun when we're, uh, when we're out there. I love it. Um, <clears throat> so I think we've already, we've dug into some, some good, uh, stories today already. And that was the thing I, we, uh, the last few podcasts, I hope you guys have been enjoying them. We really dug into some health and performance topics and I hope you guys, uh, had some good takeaways and, um, I know I really enjoy digging into that stuff, but you know, one thing we want to do with this podcast is also tell some epic stories to inspire you guys to get out. And, um, if you don't have, um, 
something planned, your next adventure planned, you know, maybe some of our stories can inspire you to to get that one. I don't know, man. I think they're going to be looking for the condo now. <laughs> they're going to be <laughs> like, I forget the tent, man. Let's take the condo. Forget Airbnb or uh, forget the backpacking. Let's just get the Airbnb and yeah, totally. Let's go to the zoo and watch the bears. Yeah. Well, it's um. I think uh, one thing that comes to mind. We were talking about like uh, you know just our experiences in the mountains over the years and like different moments or different um, memories that we've had that just just great memories like good stories. Just- Stand out, yeah. Yeah, that stand out. Um, and for me, like uh, one one thing in or one story in particular that comes to mind, um, or one topic is, I guess, winter storms. Mm. Yeah. Uh, what about you? Do you you got any uh, crazy stories around like winter storms? Oh yeah. Well, and I think, well, you know, my background on this and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a, I developed it in scouts. And I think a lot of this goes back to when people have a first experience with either a bear or a storm where it's dramatic. And when you have that first experience, it, 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 it shapes you when you're out there. And for some reason, and I don't know, you may understand this better, but it makes you want to go back and experience it again, which I don't fully understand, but yeah. Uh, we had a, a, you know, we were at winter camp as, in Scouts, and first time I was ever there, and it just snowed. It snowed like eighteen inches overnight, and we were in tents. Half of us had North Face t- tents, the uh, really good ones. That was back when the geodesic domes were first coming out, and they had them tested for like a hundred pounds of snow on top and like eighty mile an hour winds. I mean, we were we were stoked to have these tents out there. But some of the guys didn't. They didn't have great tents. And so, yeah. you know, one o'clock in the morning and we had to go out and check on them and their tents had already collapsed. They were like sleeping inside. They were sleeping on the ground with the tents on top of them. So we pulled them inside and, into, and we had to split them all up into all of the uh, North Face tents. And anyways, long story short, it's just my experience of going through a heavy storm where we got, we also got stuck there overnight and... uh had to get dug out the next day. And a lot of the parents weren't happy about us <laughs> in the middle of a storm. They couldn't find, they couldn't, there's no way to contact us back then. So it sounds like was, you had a troop, like, was your troop leader pretty adventurous? Like, yeah, he was one of those guys. That, he was from Colorado, I think. And so, you know, California. And he's like, yeah, we're, we know there's a storm coming, but we'll be fine. We're prepared for it. And they were always that way. We were prepared for whatever is going to be at coming at us. Yeah. And this is one of those when we were knee deep in it and we were we were fine. I mean, we came out of that okay. But what was interesting is years later, I kept going back looking for that first storm. And I, and I know I've told you that I used to drive up to the top of, uh, in Fraser Park, up to the top of Mount yep. Pinos which is a mountain at about 9,000 feet. And I'd go by myself and I'd stay overnight at the summit and just experience, I'd go when there's a storm. So I'd hear winter storm warning and I'd be like, oh, this is awesome. So I'd empty out my little minivan with, <laughs> with a carpet kit in the back and I'd throw all my gear back there Yeah, and I'd race up the side of the mountain. And that's where I would find peace and adventure by myself. And I got into some crazy experiences up there with the... Uh, with weather and just, I, I've never experienced 
something I call I've never experienced again called wind balls. I don't know, and you know, you might know this from, from fire when they talk about fireballs in the middle of a firestorm. Yeah, it totally. It can create its own sort of weather pattern. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, I'm sleeping in my tent, and all of a sudden, I hear this sound coming from above me, like uh, up the slope. And it, and it, I wasn't sure what it was, but it turns out to be wind, and it's coming down this almost like a rolling ball is what it reminded me of, and it would slam my tent as it went by. It's just like, and it would do this every like ten minutes. It would, and I could hear it starting and forming and then rolling down the mountain right by me, almost like if, if a snowball was rolling by. And I have never experienced that. It was the most amazing thing to experience in the middle of the winter. So yeah. I got a there's, couple of those. There's just like crazy stories. I feel like there's um there's something that makes you feel so alive in those situations. Absolutely. Um, that's exactly and, what it is. Yeah, and that's probably why cuz I was the same way when I was a kid. Like Yeah, we just seek that aliveness. We go back. We want to feel like yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's like there's something about being right on the edge, at least for me personally, like being able to walk yep. right on the edge. And I'm not talking about being an adrenaline junkie because I don't consider myself an adrenaline junkie. Um, me neither. Because I'm a lot more methodical in the approach. And I guess I right. like to think um, just methodical, just thought out and, and versus right. just like, oh, dude, let's just send it, you know, let's just go big. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's just something, um, storms in particular, it's just, um, that make you just feel so dang alive when you're up there. Well, and, and I think if it's the same as a, a snowboarder, uh, a mountain biker, when they're at the edge looking over up to the abyss and they know they're going to go down and it's that unknown and it's that, that edge of like, well, you're just, this is where we're going to go and you're just not sure how it's going to turn out, but you, and that's when you feel most alive. I yeah. agree. I mean, and I imagine, yeah, I totally And feel I think, that. um, so it makes you feel alive, but then there's also the other part, which is coming together. So, um, you know, I want to tell a story about, <laughs> a storm that I was caught in and it was pretty hairy. Uh, this was a couple of years ago with my really good friend, uh, really good friend, Brian Schwartz and Brian and Mindy have a cabin up in Grand Mesa, Colorado. And nice. uh, for those that, you know, that know Grand Mesa, they know it is like the number one spot in the country for backcountry snowmobiling. Um, it's the largest Mesa top, I believe, in the United States, possibly the world. But it's, I mean, it sits 12,000 plus feet, but it's just like hundreds, if not thousands of miles of just open backcountry riding uh, with lots of like cornice bowls. And, you know, because you're above most of the, the territory is above timberline. So it's just perfect for snowmobiling because, you know, you don't have to can worry about all those obstacles. That and, sounds uh, amazing. So, I mean, you got, you know, total sled heads up there that love to to do like the gnarly snowmobiling as far as like, yeah. you know, climb, literally climbing mountains. The tracks on That's the amazing. on these snowmobiles are like six, seven, eight feet long. Um, 
And you're talking wow. like, yeah, the, they're wow, they're bad machines. Like, I didn't grow up snowmobiling. Um, grew up dirt bike riding and stuff like that. But so this was my first time really, like, you know, doing the the backcountry, like just badass snowmobiling thing. Yeah. And so we get up to their cabin, and they just have this beautiful cabin. I mean, it's um, just this beautiful, beautiful spot. And they probably have like, I don't know, 10 snowmobiles in their garage. I mean, they're just like total hardcore, wow. ready to go. And um, the we were up there actually doing a fundraiser. Um, as you know, Mike, they have an organization called Extreme Mobility. And they put on action adventure camps for blind individuals which is um, awesome yeah yeah dude and and we definitely want to get brian and brian or Minnie on the podcast to yeah share some of their um their epic adventures but also uh talk about extreme mobility because it's been a you know big um big part yeah. of my life so anyways we're yeah. up there raising uh doing a fundraiser and uh this is is sort of like a bed and breakfast deal. So they had, um, they actually had this physician that had this corporate, like, or not corporate, but this Learjet. And he's basically flew, I don't know, there was like six or seven of them that flew into that small little airport, Grand Junction. So mm. we, we go down, we pick this, these, um, these individuals up and like a couple physicians. One guy was a dairy farmer. Another guy was an almond farmer. So, you know, all, pretty well-to-do people and and the whole idea was you know basically do a bed and breakfast type deal um and they come up and brian and mindy basically like give them this whole like four or five days of just snowmobiling fishing just you know everything you could possibly think of that is what you could do up there on the mesa and yeah so like the 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 first night uh brian's like hey do you guys want to do a ride tomorrow like a longer ride to electric mountain well electric mountain is um i think it's like two hours from his cabin and you're talking you know you're on a snowmobile two hour ride and wow. that's at you know you're moving you're not that's not just like cruising so it's, you're far yeah yeah you're far and it's i want to say it might have even been longer it might have been like three hours each way um but it's pretty cool. This place, Electric Mountain, is only accessible by snowmobiles. Mm. So it, it's, I mean, when you pull up to this place, it's like a, you know, you like be at Neptune's Net or something on County Line when you see all the the Harleys. You know, it's like a biker. <laughs> yeah. This is like a snowmobile bar. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. So it's pretty sick. And um, so anyways, we, we wake up early in the morning and, you know, crystal clear skies, beautiful morning, weather's like, just perfect, right? Perfect riding conditions. And I'm already a little nervous because um, I'm not big at just being on the back, being a passenger. I grew right. up, like, right. I, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up riding moto and I love driving. And it's like, but being a passenger is just a different deal, especially when you're talking about sure. <laughs> extreme snowmobiling. Right. But if there's anybody I'm going to trust, um, it's definitely going to be Brian. Um, I spent enough time with him to know he's like, he knows his stuff and he's a good writer. So anyways, I hop on the back with him and there's probably like 10 of us all together and we take off and it's pretty cool because, you know, as I mentioned, it's, 
you're on this big mesa top, but it's 12,000 plus feet in elevation. So it's, you know, just this alpine feel. Um, and in the winter, like the snowmobile tracks or trails are, are most of them are actually the rivers and streams, which is, gotcha. it's, it's kind of a trip, right? Cause like, especially when you're blind, you know, Brian was like, cause I was asking him like, how do you, how do you know the trails? He's like, well, it's a lot of them are <laughs> the actual, you're just following the, the rivers and streams that are frozen over. Yeah. That's because, a key part of that. <laughs> Frozen. Yeah, right. So, and so that was already, that was one thing that was in the back of my mind. And, like, oh. you know, I was also, I have to mention, I wasn't in, you know, this was years ago. And I mentioned on previous podcasts, like I went through some health complications, figuring myself out. So I, at this point was not like, I still wasn't feeling that great. I still yeah. was, you know, it was only a year or two after my accident. And, um, so yeah i'm just throwing that out there so i'm on the back of this snowmobile and we take off and it's like it's cool for the first maybe like hour and um just cruising yeah we're just like i mean we're we're hauling ass but it it, i don't know it it wasn't it just it wasn't that bad and and um but you know hour passes and i'm like oh this is kind of this is getting pretty intense and you know and it's uh it just got long i mean and and you're stopping along the way because there's you know obviously they're getting excited because they'll see like a big cornice or something they're like oh let's go climb that you know that hill or (laughs) let's go hit this one and so it had already felt like the longest ride of my life being on the back of the snowmobile for what Mm. two and a half three hours and we finally make it to electric mountain and it was pretty sick because they had, it was right around the time of the Sochi 2014 Olympics, like pre-Olympic time, okay. a couple months before. Yeah. And uh, so there was a, we pulled up and they had, um, they had a bunch of like freestyle snowmobile ramps set up and uh, they oh, were doing, wow. yeah, dude, there was like a bunch of freestyle riders up there. And so it was like, like, all right, this is cool. You know, that was this was worth the two and a half, three hour ride in, you know. Um Dang. so it's pretty sick. We stop and we have lunch and had a, a burger and you know, as I mentioned, it was that literally the only way you can get there is a snowmobile. That's so you have like a little restaurant there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's oh, wow. there's a restaurant there and you know, there was probably at that time twenty twenty sleds, snowmobiles parked out front and um you know, they had this little freestyle demo going on and I'm like, this is sick. You know, it's only what, uh, the only people, um, just being so remote, like we were the only people. So, so wait, how do they get their food in there? Do they just tow like a hundred meat patties on the back of the snowmobile? Yeah, er, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And even like, that's That's the way Brian's cabin is too. So even when you, when you show up to their cabin, yeah. You can, you reach a certain point. There's usually a pullout. It's like a, a visitor center. It's called like hibernation station, I believe. And then yeah. from that point, they have to hike into the cabin and then retrieve a snowmobile and then bring a snowmobile back down to the truck or, you know, the cars wow. to pack up. And then they have, they have, they have like these sled trailer sleds and then they'll just like okay. pack all their gear, food and whatever, you know, yeah. for the so trip. This is real remote. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, it's cause you're, you're in the, 
you're 12,000. I think his cabin sits almost at 13,000 feet or something like wow. that. Wow. Okay. Um, so, I mean, even at the cabin, they have full oxygen uh, generators. They got, I mean, it's, I mean, they're, because they've had some hairy situations <laughs> sure. um, with people that have come up there that have, you know, went south with elevation sickness and stuff. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking like. I bet. Hardcore. It's, it's definitely. Yeah. A legit place. So, now we're 50 hundred miles whatever it is from that location even deeper uh yeah so it's a crazy feeling you're like you know you know you're way out there yeah you're sitting at a restaurant and you're sitting at like this bar restaurant and you're like oh this is cool but then when you think about man we literally have a four-hour ride three four-hour ride back out um so anyways we eat lunch have a burger head back out get our gear back on hop on the snowmobiles and i'm like pretty tired at this point because you know, a three hour yeah. ride on the snowmobile is exhausting. And then you stop time. and have lunch and your body cools down. And so everybody's kind of like achy and all right, let's get going. So we head back, we start heading back and, um, not too long after we start these big, like storm clouds start rolling in. And I mean, it just went from crystal clear skies to almost no visibility. Oh, but, really? Yeah. Wow fast moving okay yeah so we're literally like um you know probably at least two hours from the cabin um with only let's say you know because for the listeners just to remind you i'm blind so my visual i don't have the the visual memory but based on what every you know the feedback everybody was given maybe 20 10 to 20 feet of visibility so now we just took that three-hour ride there um, and and probably doubled it as far as, you know, because now we're we're creeping because we're running into the potent, you know, the risk of losing the trail because it's not like, you know, it's not just like a walk in the park and easy to just, oh, this is our trail. It's all snow. I mean, that's tough snow navigation. Yeah. So I watched Brian go right into like, and this is what I this is what reminded me of this story and, and why I wanted to tell it because as we were mentioning earlier, like there's something there's something about being in nature when like storms hit and how it makes yeah. you feel alive. You know, we mentioned that. Like mm-hmm. it just makes you feel alive. But then there's the other part, there's this like survival uh mechanism or something that yep. that, that just clicks on. It's like this primal sort of and everybody goes into like, okay, we're we're in survival mode now, and we have a mission basically, and we need to get uh, we need to get all ten people back to the cabin safe. Yeah, and it was, and 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 it, and it wasn't, you know, like I said, we're it was almost no visibility, so we're creeping along, and it just is like real slow going, and and now we're starting to also contend with. We don't have seasoned snowmobilers, right? This was like, we got, a, you know, these sort of corporate sort of people, you know. Oh, that's right. Physicians, like, they're just coming up for a good time. It's not like. <laughs> yeah, sure they were. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, they're not like. Oh. I really like that burger, Corey, but <laughs> what are we now, man? <laughs> and it's so great because you know Brian. And it's funny because like Brian's like, oh, yeah, you guys want to go on this like. This would be this cool trail or this cool ride to Electric Mountain. And he probably, you know, 
Yeah. Just talked it up and didn't really, you know. Yeah, but for somebody new out there, they're, they're, they know they're in it. Yeah, Brian knows that those risks are, are, are always there. It's just part of being in the mountains. But I'm sure that the, the people that were on the trip with us didn't realize wow. that. So anyways, we're, you know, we get to the point where now the, the I remember this one one of the ladies was like, her hands were starting to get cold. Mm, sure. So her hands are getting numb. And then she's, you know, of course, they're getting scared. The yep. um, fear is starting to, you know, people are getting a little anxious. And Brian's like, no, we're, we're good. We just yeah. need to. Um, so the invisibility gets so bad. Um, Brian and Mindy and um, one of the uh, other guys that were the, basically the locals. Um, people that had spent a lot of time up there, we had to start doing like a leapfrog deal so we didn't lose people because that's how bad the visibility was. So like Brian and I would jump ahead, say like a half a mile, and then we would like radio back and you know let the next the next group go. And it was like we would basically do this leapfrog back um, just to cover uh, cover territory and to make sure we didn't a lose people and then b lose our actual. Uh, route back wow so then you know we're like two hours into this and everybody's not even i'm starting to get a little nervous at this point because this was back before like brian and a lot of ind- people were using like spot on or any like gps yeah, that's all of. i've been thinking about lately is my <laughs> navigation system i'm like wow i'm glad i spent two weeks on this yeah so then yeah. you know i'm starting to even ask brian when we're stopping like yeah so you, you, you good like how far do you think we're from the cab and he's like oh I don't know. I think we're down like in this little, this, <laughs> and I'm like, you think? I know how Brian is. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, and he has no oh, reference, like no GPS, no nothing. And um, mm. so I'm like, all right, he's like, he literally grew up. He, his grandfather had a cabin up on the Mesa. So like, yeah, I'm like, so okay, he knows I'm, it. Like, I trusted yeah. this guy. So anyways, we get, you know, we get pretty far, like we're, you know, we're cruising, we're probably two and a half, three hours into the ride now, four hours into the ride, and it's just getting like pretty scary because now it's getting dark, like sun's starting to go down. Mm. Um, and uh, Dark and cold. Dark and cold, wet, we're, we're like yep. wet now because sure. we're getting, you know, it's storming out, so it, there's only so much you're yeah it's penetrating your gear yep and you're going 40 50 you know sometimes 40 50 miles an hour so you're getting so anyways extremities yeah we get to this one spot where brian and i like i think visibility probably opened up a little bit more um so brian's getting you know he's getting more on the throttle and uh i could tell that he was getting probably more confident because we were getting maybe he saw something that he recognized and knew that we were on the right track so we're like hauling ass around this corner and uh, all of a sudden we like kind of break loose a little bit and we shoot down this like, I don't know, dude, like all of a sudden like branches are slapping my arms and we go down into this like in- <laughs> <laughs> this embankment dude. gully and all of a sudden I feel water like my leg, like my whole, like my whole left side of the body was basically submerged. Like I felt instant wetness and I'm like, Oh, panic, like set in fully. Right. Cause Brian had mentioned to me that we were following these rivers and these streams. That was like our trail. Oh. So I'm like, Oh my God, we're going to break through the ice. And <laughs> so my first like instinct, right. Was to like get off a snowmobile and I spread yeah. all fours, like just 
freaking drop to the ground and like spread my legs and my arms to disperse, you know, as much weight as I possibly could. Because you don't know what you're on. Yeah, you don't yeah, know what you're on. To increase the surface oh. area. And Brian's like, you know, he's doing his own assessment, trying to figure out what the heck has happened. Like, if we were really in a, a dangerous situation, and, and thank God it turns out we were, we were just kind of, uh, we went off trail, slid off trail into some ice, and then went down into this, like, basically kind of like a, I guess you, a, a pond or like just a water sort of gully area. Gotcha. So it was just kind of like slushy mud water collected gotcha. in this area. Wow. Well, we still didn't know immediately if we were, you know, if there was a bigger danger. So, like, Brian and I both jump up onto our feet because we got the, the crew coming behind us, right? And we're like, oh, my God, more snowmobiles, more weight. Like, we're all going to fall through this lake. <laughs> so, Brian and I are, like, arms waving in the air, like, no, stop, stop. Oh. And Mindy was the first one. His wife was the first one to pull up. She's like, what, what? You know, and we're lit. <laughs> that feeling like we're on thin ice right you know like go back go back and uh but yeah so thankfully it was just uh you know we weren't on a lake and we didn't fall through the water but man that was it was hairy and we uh so you kind of rolled it you kind of when it slid into a pond then more yeah we or less. yeah yeah we, we basically you got the water's freezing cold you got soaked so now you're soaking wet yeah, pretty now, much. Yeah, now we're soaked. We had about and it's freezing. Yeah, it was freezing. It was dark. Um wow. and we were just wiped out. I mean, we were just exhausted. You know, that that's a that ride in it in alone is exhausting. Sure. Um, let alone the you know, riding through a storm and just the mental fatigue. So yeah, that happened probably I don't know. It was only a few miles from the cabin, so we were able to. I just keep picturing you making snow angels out there on some ice field, trying to make yourself smaller. <laughs> like no way. Oh man, it was so funny. Like after the fact, Brian and I were cracking up because we both just we both did like the same thing. See, I would never have thought of that. How did you guys know to, to like try to make yourself smaller or whatever? Like, well, I also like forgot to mention. I I totally forgot this part. So the snowmobile like rolls off this thing. So we're like we're kind of we're not pinned, but. It's on its side and it pitched over onto the left side. So Brian's legs kind of pinned. I didn't get pinned, so I was able to to basically pull myself off the snowmobile and then hike myself back up onto off the or like on <laughs> the embankment. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I was in like panic mode. I'm like, shit, water. I'm out of here. Like water, <laughs> snow, like no good. Um, especially when it's um like 20 degrees <laughs> out. You're like, why is there water? <laughs> um. But Brian ends up pulling himself out and gets like right up next to me. So now he's like standing next to me and we're like, you know, doing a self-assessment. And as we were standing there, the entire like 20 by 20 foot section drops like a foot. Like it goes, like you could literally hear the snow drop. So both that was when both him and I dropped to our hands and knees and tried to disperse our weight, you know, basically because we're like, oh my God, we're going to drop into drop this through. lake or whatever we're this wa- body of water that we're standing on and how far from that point that you're standing on how far back were you from the cabin still how far away well that yeah we were almost there so it was probably wow. and i think that's what happened brian got a little <laughs> a little confident he's <laughs> like yeah lucky. he started hot rodding and came around that corner and we just hit an ice patch because it it was nighttime so it, it things i know this especially now um living in montana it's like 
the the most dangerous times are it it's mm-hmm. not the the storm itself um it's after it storms so cause, sure. you know the winter storms here we get you know we might get a winter storm that comes through that's you know say like in the 30s it's dumping snow but then nightfall comes and it drops down to like 20 below mm-hmm. and that snow turns to more of like this ice um and everything just freezes over so now you don't have this nice fluffy snowpack like you would like we have in you have in california oh, it's just this dude. like crazy it's just it's frozen over you know right that totally reminds me of a, of a story that I, of exactly about that about that kind of a situation where the storm brings so much snow that you know the mountaintop is kick and only takes so much and then things start to shift uh and so i so are you i mean you're, are you yeah. a little more on your oh, story yeah. okay so so just because i'm dovetailing off what you said i was on i was on a ridge a ridge i had taken uh i had some ah they're like snowshoes, but they're they're the skis. They're like cross country skis, but they're short. They're and like stubby. the short they're, ones. Yep. Yeah. So I took those uh, by myself again up into a, I don't know. Uh, it was off in the Angeles Crest Forest, and we had snow all weekend. And I decided to go out there and hang out somewhere overnight. And uh, I get out there. I set up my tent. Everything looks good. No one's around. Go to sleep. And somewhere in the middle of the night, probably around two in the morning, I hear this cracking sound. I'm like, that just sounds odd because I'm out in the mountains. <laughs> so I'm like, why is there a cracking sound? And then the cracking starts happening all around me. Like, I mean, oh. underneath me, in every direction, there's just cracking like the sound of fireworks. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Uh, where I'm trying to think of where I am on the mountain because I, I was up towards the top of the ridge and I'm like, where did I position myself? Because the whole mountain's cracking. The, and I, I'm assuming it's snow or, or it's ice or it was settling from the storm, you know, just to hit a certain temperature. Yep. And just like if you took a, an ice cube and you threw it into warm water and you hear that cracking yep. for the first time, that's what it was like, except just, you know, in a stadium size feeling. And I just remember wondering where I was and am I going to go down the side of that mountain because I parked myself in the wrong place. And uh, all of a sudden, at the same amount of time as it hit, it all just stopped. It's like the snow just settled and it all stopped and went away. And I'm thinking, hmm, it's going to take me a while to get back to sleep now. I got to change my underwear. <laughs> Serious. And then it's, it, so, was ni- yeah. it was nighttime too. Yeah, and you're by yourself, so you know it's like, well, this is it, man. You know what I mean? You got a few seconds, and it's like, this this might be that moment when it's just not going to go well. But, of course, it did, and I walked out of there the next day, or skied out, I guess, but I ended up walking on a road because the snow had melted enough that I guess it, or somebody plowed it, so I ended up walking out But for one of the sections. But yeah, just those those moments when you're, you know, when it's just, it's intense. Yeah, it makes you, well, going back, it makes you feel alive. Um, but I wouldn't, avalanches, man, they're, <laughs> <laughs> stay far away from those ones. Yeah, that, that's totally. scary. That's scary stuff. I got into a really hairy situation as a, um, actually in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I didn't trigger an avalanche, but I'm pretty sure we were, 
we were really close. It was mm. in the early years of backcountry snowboarding, like when I first got into it and was completely naive and, you know, just didn't know what I was doing. I was more excited about just trying it and didn't really mm-hmm. have someone to basically take me under their wing and be like, this is how you do it safe. You know, this is, um, sure. I mean, even now I, I, I can't wait to put Grady, my son and Eli through like, you know, all these like avalanche, um, courses and, sure. and backcountry safety. And it's just so important. But anyways, we're in, this was like a high school trip back in, when I was in high school, they used to put these, uh, high school trips together. Like, I think it used to be called like SWAT or edge or, you know, these basically like these, these, sure. uh, these companies. And so if you can imagine like 20 high schools from Southern California, you know, 17 to 18 year old kids, um, 20 of like charter buses all headed up to Jackson hole. Uh, and it might even nice. have been more than 20, but like literally you got Southern California high school kids that like completely take over the town of Jackson hole. <laughs> oh, nice. So I'm sure the locals just like, I'm sure they <laughs> yeah, loved they that, love. that week. Yeah. So, um, I'm a big, like at this point, just big into like freestyle snowboarding. I'm still, you know, 17 years old and the, my home mountains were like, Mountain High, Wrightwood, Big Bear, Snow Summit, um, like the birth of basically like the freestyle snowboard scene. Mm. And uh, when we were at, you know, we'd be at, at Big Bear or Wrightwood or even Mammoth because Mammoth is definitely um, a bigger resort mountain. We would like, I started getting really into just doing like tree runs and, and dropping off of like out of bounds and dealing like basically snowboarding and just all sure. different types of terrain versus the park. I was like, this is legit. Like, this is so yeah, fun. It's more fun. So I, I go on this high school trip to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I knew from like reading snowboarder magazine and all the, you know, just like following this world. I'm like, dude, J- Jackson Hole is like, that's like the place to go backcountry riding. Like I knew For it was, sure. I knew it was the spot. So the first day we show up at the mountain and, uh, you know, we have no idea, like I have no experience with backcountry riding, but this mountain is the biggest mountain I'd ever been on. Like we get onto this gondola and, uh, it probably seats like, I don't know, 20 people, high speed gondola. It's like a 30, 45 minute ride up, which I'd never experienced before, you know, up, I'm talking like 40 minutes up the mountain. Steep. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're in Mountain High or Big Bear, you're talking like five minutes, 10 minutes at the most to get to the top of the mountain yeah. on a high-speed chair. And then you got like a five-minute ride down. So that's what I was used to. Totally. So we get to the top and um, they, there's like, and I know anybody that's listening that's had the privilege to ride or snowboard, ski Jackson Hole. It's like that gondola lands on this big steel sort of like um, this huge giant deck that's, basically constructed into um these huge like uh rock formations and like i mean it looks like something out of uh, i can't even i can't even do it justice i mean you're 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 standing on the edge you know looking over you're you're holding onto the handrails and you're staring down Mm. like double black diamond runs that have like rock shoots 
you know, that are wow. maybe 10 feet wide. And you're like, oh, like I could shoot that line, but I'd have to come through it like on a toe side. And, you know, like it's just super, super technical, like something, uh, the first place I'd ever experienced of that technicality of writing. <laughs> That's the edge, man. <laughs> yeah. So I'm with like, you know, I'm with my boys. I'm with my boys that, that know how to ride like I grew up with. So I try, I know they're all like good. So I kind of took yeah. the lead. I'm like, all right, guys, we're going to do some backcountry riding. But we had no idea where to go, right? <laughs> oh. We had no clue. So we did a couple of runs, like just down the normal, the just the normal route. And I mean, it took like an hour to get to the bottom. Like we were taking wow. breaks on the way down because it's just such a long <laughs> route. And I'm like in heaven, right? I'm like, you know, this snowboarding. If there's one thing that I fell in love with um, doing in the mountains and that was snowboarding like snowboarding yeah, is bet. just it's amazing so dude we get to the bottom and i'm like all right this place is amazing we got to figure out how to get into like the the backcountry stuff and so i started like asking people that look like local and they're literally giving me like the stink eye like yeah like look at this young punk kid from socal like no we're not going to tell you where to go and finally i'm like dang what the heck so I'm like, I'm going to go ask the ski patrol because I know the ski patrol guys, they're always legit. Like they usually take a ski patrol job because they're just like hardcore skiers and they want to spend as much time on the mountain as possible. They did it all. I'd go and like track this guy down. I'm like, so uh, where's the backcountry riding around here? And he like gives me this like kind of smirk like, yeah, it's illegal. And I was like, huh. I'm like, so where is it? <laughs> <laughs> nice. And he's like, because I knew that from my home mountain, you know, they, yeah. they, they have everything taped off. And they're like, don't drop it. Yeah, totally. Don't go out of bounds. I'm like, yeah, yep. I know that. But where do you go? Come on. Like, I know you're a local, you know, the good spots. And he goes, you didn't hear it from me, but go up chair three, you know, tr- track across this little trail and drop down this valley, like into this other valley. And I was like, okay, wow. I got you. So I get my boys together. We head up back up on the gondola and, and do exactly what he says and we drop like we literally like ke- um like cross this ridge line uh and um we drop into this other valley i mean it was completely disconnected i mean we're we didn't mm. see any other you're talking about thousands of people on the mountain and we were completely separate from them i mean we we dropped wow. into unknown territory like snow wasn't groomed you're talking like knee deep to to hip deep snow full powder um a full exposure i mean you have there was we were dropping into like lines that had um rocks that were the size of like a school bus and it was so sick because they would like it'd be a down slope and the snowpack would like pack up against it on the top part so you just hit these rollers going downhill and you could just like basically like just sky out um it's actually one of the first places i um actually attempted a backflip or a back roll uh just because it was like landing in straight pillows you know sure so that was the first day it was like you know we we felt like we found the holy grail like this is amazing so we go back (laughs) to the cabin you know and it's uh you know as i mentioned you got a bunch of high school kids 17 to 18 year olds and it's wild i mean it's they had these um it was pretty cool they had um this was back like you know big 
in like the punk rock scene in, in SoCal. So, so they brought a bunch of like bands up and we go to the, so all my buddies and I were like talking about like, yeah, we found this, this epic backcountry spot and um, yeah, you guys got to go with us tomorrow. And like, we're like rallying the crew up, right? We're getting more people. So the next day we show up and now we got like, I don't know, like 20 guys and oh, um, man. I'm leading them. Like I'm literally like, I'm leading everybody. And uh, so we drop into the same spot, but I was like, oh, I'm going to try to take a higher line because when you're, you know, as I was learning, this is like a uh, completely new type of riding, but I was learning like the higher you could, the further you could track across, like, and stay higher on the ridge, it, uh, like uh, open more territory instead of mm. just like dropping in where we were originally dropping in. So I like take this ridge on the heel side and I'm like, you know, cutting across and um, I see this line I want to drop into, right? And I was like, yeah, it looks pretty dope. Like there's no tracks because you can tell, you know, it hasn't yeah. snowed for a couple of days so you could see tracks. Well, there's no, it's like fresh. And I'm like, oh, sick. So we drop in on that <laughs> and it was like four of my good buddies that I, you know, grew up riding with, they followed me and the rest of the pack was like, they were a little bit slower. So they were behind. Well, I start, you know, toe side, heel side. I'm like carving down. And it was crazy because it wasn't, it wasn't a feel, it wasn't actually like under my, my snowboard. I got the feeling it was like the hair on the back of my neck rose. And it was like, uh Oh, I'm in a, like, I'm in a bad place right now. And then I started sort of like self-assessing like the snow and I could, the snow was sort of like crisp, like hardened on the top and it didn't feel very secure underneath. And, you know, it was kind of deep and I'm just like, Oh crap. Like, and you know, as I mentioned, I didn't have any experience with avalanches or, you know, just being able to identify train and, and scope things out. I was just living on the thrill and the stoke of like, yeah, this is sick. Let's go. (laughs) Totally. Well, dude, like, you know, I primal instinct kicked in. I mean, like I said, the hair on the back of my neck rose, I stopped immediately. Like, as careful and i'm talking like you know i just told that story about brian and i going off the snowmobile yeah i mean no you can you couldn't even compare the feeling this was way different this was like i'm about to lose Mm. my life feeling i don't know exactly why but just the uncertainty so i strap out of both bindings and um so when you're like snowboarders when you unstrap your 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 board you can kind of use it as a i guess like a um an axe or a pick. So you hold both bindings and if you're going to hike out, you can kind of like slam it into the ground and use it to, and then pull yourself up. So anyways, I unstrap and I immediately throw my arms up to the guys that are behind me. I'm like, stop like immediately. I'm, they could read it on my face. I'm like, we need to hike out of here. So anyways, it took us about 30 to 45 minutes to hike out. Um, what we had already, you know, gone down and dropped in. And uh, it was a huge learning lesson because we had we ended up getting up and out of it, but we dropped down a different line and we come we came down into that you know that canyon or that bowl and we look up and you could see our our snowboard tracks and about mm. and 150 to 200 feet further down was a straight basically cliff drop that Ooh, was wow. a couple hundred feet plus. Wow. So we were literally just snowboarding blindly 
down this slope and you know we were so caught up in like oh it's fresh powder it's like there's been no tracks here but now i'm like well now i know why there was no freaking tracks on that so you couldn't there's no way for you guys to see where that drop no way. was so you were cruising across and you could have just went right over the side oh, is that easily wow. so we dropped in and that's the whole you know that was the sure. the scary part of it is now i know that um you have to you got to be if you're going to do backcountry riding, you got to be with a legit company that's guiding you, that knows the territory. They know mm. the weather patterns. They know like, okay, you know, if it hasn't snowed for three days, like this isn't a good area to go ride. Um, hmm. So being just young, crazy punk kids, snowboarders, like, you know, we're going backcountry riding. It was a huge learning lesson to like, you can't, you know, there's a reason why these mountains are set up the way they're set up and, and the snow is groomed and, you know, a lot of the dangerous obstacles are taped off or, you know, there's right. warnings if there's gates or, you know, they're aware of these things. But when you drop into unknown territory, you're suddenly, the exposure is like, right, is so much more. Um, I'm, sh I'm sure it's the same with trails in the backcountry. It's like, you know, these yeah. JMT trails are well-traveled and the obstacles and hazards are probably avoided. And then, uh, but if you decide to wander off, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of on you as to what you get into. Yeah. And it goes back um, to what we were talking to or talking about in the beginning is just part of logistics and preparation and knowing, um, you know, where you're going and having a, plan b plan c um yeah and just no totally knowing that um yeah it's gonna be fun but when you head it when you head out into the mountains of the backcountry you just um it's a gnarly place crazy things can happen that's why we go totally. there <laughs> totally it <laughs> totally can so, be yeah oh man so sweet dude i love it um, yeah, I love story time. I was going to say, I love story time. So it's good to dig into some health and performance topics, but stories is what connects us and um, we can all relate to, we can all relate to them in some way. So yeah, I think it's a good time to, to wrap it up, my brother. What do you think? Oh uh, yeah, no, I love it. Yep. This is, I love storytelling, man. Just People have amazing stories, at the, and, and that's some of my favorite times is listening to what people get into and how they've survived it or how they yeah. managed it, their you know their state while they're getting through it. It's, it's amazing. Absolutely, and uh, yeah, and you guys, man, if um, you got any great stories like adventure stories that came to mind uh, listening today, adventure survival. Um, epic trips like we want to hear from you we would love to we'd love to hear your stories yeah and, absolutely um, maybe even get you on the podcast so shoot us an email uh info at mountainwellness.life uh, is the best way to get in contact with us um if you want to learn more about mountain wellness and everything we got going on you can hop over to our website at mountainwellness.life um oh yeah we got an announcement too um we haven't filled them in on the event we got coming up so oh, that's amazing we're finally getting mike out to montana to visit my territory and i get yes. to show him show him why i moved here moved away from southern california just to be in the the thick of it live in the mountain lifestyle so we're uh what is it july 18th um we're gonna do 
an event here in the Elkhorn Mountains, which is a pretty local it's local spot for us here in Helena. Beautiful uh, mountain range, and we're going to do a, a backpack overnight trip and have some <sighs> some mountaintop yoga and some some breath performance breath work on the mountaintop and get to hang out, have campfire, share some stories like we're doing right now, but. Yeah, I'm just most excited to get you out here, brother. Oh, I can't wait. I mean, I'm going from the Sierras to the Montana. Uh, it's just, uh, well, it's going to be an amazing summer. To, what an experience that's going to be. Yeah, I know. I'm excited. And Cam's coming too. Your son yeah. is coming yeah. out. So super stoked for that. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can and grow from this. The plan is to eventually start offering some some retreats to you know you guys uh, here in montana so we'll keep you posted on that anyways good episode today mike um anything else no man just if you're gonna travel there's always that side of you want to travel safely just take the time take the few minutes it takes to research the where you're going that's right the approach is everything yeah sweet all right um thanks for tuning in guys um hope you were uh hope you guys were inspired and makes you think about your next adventure getting out there and experiencing what um gosh the mountains and nature has to offer because that's when we feel most alive so hope you guys have an amazing week and we'll catch you guys on the next episode see you on the mountain sweet later